Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm just, I'm being honest with you guys. I'm sitting in the closet here. I'm talking to you. Um, I hope you're listening. I cried. I actually cried at the end of the first episode of Pitch. Those son of a bitch and writers, man, threw a twist that was so just emotionally devastating at the end of that episode and it was well done but my god was it manipulative and it just it brought me down man the stream police podcast is brought to you by overduereview.com since 2013 the staff at overdue review have written opinions on hundreds of movies tv shows and albums to see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the Five Star Club page at OverdueReview.com. Overdue Review, better late. Well, hello again, my friend. Fancy running into you here. I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com, and I humbly bring you this podcast every couple weeks along with my co-host, music editor at OverdueReview.com, Andy Sedlak. We'll be hearing from him in a little bit, but... Meanwhile, you're mine for a few minutes here on the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you very much for stopping by the station today. I'll be telling you uh, what's what's streaming on TV, what's out there in theaters, what's uh, going on on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever else. Uh, what should you spend your time watching and listening to? That's what we're all about on this show. We like to think we know a thing or two. We spent uh, a little bit of time. We, we wasted our youths watching TV, watching movies, listening to music. And while some would maybe say, our parents would probably say that was a waste, but we would like to beg to differ. So thank you very much for listening, my friend. Uh, always glad to uh, have you here on the show. Let me go ahead and get started, as I always do, by lighting my stogie up uh, here inside my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I am recording this show for you. So here we go. Perfect light, as always. Thank you very much, Zippo. So like I said, glad to have you in on the show. Last week was an exciting episode uh, because, or I should say last episode was exciting because I gave you part one of my uh, fall 2016 TV preview. I mean, it's an exciting time when we're talking about television and so many new shows on right now. And I've watched uh, a lot of uh, pilots in the last couple weeks since we last spoke, and I've really enjoyed all of them. I haven't had any shows that I thought were clunkers that I was looking forward to uh, out of the gate. And, uh, I mean, you know, some of the returning shows, I've dropped a couple of them. I'm, I'm going back to some more of them, and uh, I'll be getting into more of that probably in the next episode as far as what do I think really about these new shows. But uh, coming up later in today's episode, I'll be giving you my uh, part two 
of my Fall TV preview, which are five shows that are premiering in October that you should look out for. Last time I gave you five ep- or five shows premiering in September that you should look for. So hopefully you've been checking those out. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to it and uh, maybe tell Tell me what you think if you watched any of those five shows that I recommended to you. So there's plenty of new shows and returning favorites coming back in the last few weeks. So, you know, I figured as I open the show always with my segment, the greatest TV show theme song of all time, where we talk about one of the great TV theme songs ever, I figured for once I would talk about the theme song of a show that's still on TV now. Believe it or not, I've been doing this segment for, I think, like seven episodes now. Something like that. And I have not talked about a show that's still on TV right now. I've gone back for all of them. So let me talk this week about my favorite theme song that's on TV right now. And the show's third season just debuted last week. I'm talking about Amazon's Transparent, whose opening theme by composer Dustin O'Halloran is my pick for this week's greatest TV show theme song of all time. The song is simply called the Transparent Main Theme, and it was composed by Dustin O'Halloran for the show. And since debuting in 2014, Transparent has been a juggernaut for awards. It's won eight Emmy Awards and been nominated for 20 of them over its first two seasons on Amazon. So basically, it's won half the Emmys it's been up for, which is an incredible feat, especially when you consider that 20 nominations over two seasons um, is pretty incredible, especially for a half-hour uh, series on a network that really had never garnered any kind of Emmy nominations before Transparent. So it's just really been a juggernaut for uh, for Emmy wins and for you know Golden Globe wins um, and, and just award wins across the board. Now, one of those Emmy wins, one of those eight, was for its theme song. The Emmys gives out an award each year, Best uh, Original Main Title Theme Music. They give that, they've been giving that award out for decades now, and they gave it to Transparent after its uh, first season at the 2015 Emmys. And this song, it's short on the show, it's less than a minute long, but it's this beautiful instrumental piece, and I never skip over it. When I was binge-watching the first season in just two sittings, I binge-watched the first season of that show in two sittings, and I never skipped through the opening titles once. And how often do you say that? I mean, you know, don't don't you find yourself a lot of times skipping through the theme song if you've heard it a couple times? This was one of those that I watched every time. I have never skipped through um, the opening titles of Transparent in 26 episodes, I believe, of, of watching that show so far. And uh, as I said, Dustin O'Halloran composed the song, He's a piano man and a composer who previously scored Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette movie, and he also scored the 2011 Sundance favorite film, Like Crazy. Um, But his theme for Transparent is definitely the most notable mainstream piece of music that he's composed. Like I said, just a gorgeous piece of music, as you can hear there. I reviewed Transparent in full in episode 31 of the Stream Police, so if you want to go back and hear my, my full thoughts on the series, uh, go back and listen to that episode. But you know, this theme song works so well for a lot of different reasons. It's, v- it's very soothing, and it's comforting. And the sound of, of soothing and, and, and comfort 
contrasts so well with the action in this show because this show is anything but soothing and anything but comforting when you watch it, honestly. Uh, in 2015, O'Halloran told Entertainment Weekly he was doing an interview about the, the theme song, and he said the music represents the family bond between all of them and the love that they share. And that family bond is certainly there in that series, but it's hard to find sometimes because they're very dysfunctional. This is a family of extremely selfish people who really um, – don't they don't seem to rely on each other too much unless they have to um so it's a really unique family portrait painted in the show but this opening theme song just makes you feel at home just makes you feel at ease when you start the show and then of course you're taking you're taken uh, off by the uh, edge that's on the show as you actually get into the action of it the family members of the, uh, the characters in this show who are family members are basically all out of control and they all operate completely independently of one another. So to have this warm piece of music paired with like these scratchy old VHS tape images, which is the way that they do the opening titles, um, was a genius way to open each episode. I absolutely love this theme song. But I wouldn't be me if I didn't have a complaint about it. And my only complaint about the transparent theme song is that they change it sometimes. And it's very noticeable when they do. Sometimes, like in a couple different episodes, they have removed the opening title theme that you're hearing here and they've changed it with something else. One time they replaced it with a Dylan song, which I'm never one to complain about using a Dylan tune. But I would complain in this case because I just love this theme song so much, and I hate any time that they, they do change it up. And I've said before that the first episode of Transparent is not great. So if you're sitting down to watch Transparent for the first time and you watch the first episode and you go, oh, God, this is not going to be good, that's exactly what I thought. But watch the second episode, and I swear to you, you will be hooked. The second episode of Transparent is one of the best single episodes of any show that I've ever seen, and it was the exact moment that I became a huge fan of this series. First episode is is just I, I don't know if I don't know if I'd say it's not well done because it does kind of um it does do a nice job of setting the characters up, but it's just it's it's abrasive and it's hard to really get into that first episode. But the second one, oh man, it packs a, a serious punch. So anyways, that's my pick this week for the greatest TV show theme song of all time, the transparent main theme from Amazon's Transparent, composed by Dustin O'Halloran for the show. And in case you were wondering, the uh, Emmys were just last Sunday, and maybe you were wondering which show won the Emmy for Best Opening Theme Song at this year's Emmys. It was Netflix's uh, Jessica Jones that won it, and uh, I talked about Jessica Jones in a previous episode as well, reviewed that uh, first season, and I did talk in my review about how that was a theme song I also enjoyed a lot, and I really didn't find myself skipping um, at all when I was watching it, even though its theme song is a little longer, but just very cool, kind of like slinky, jazzy, noir uh, kind of thing, which goes well with the private eye uh, aspect of, of the show Jessica Jones, which was just a really cool show that I enjoyed watching. Um, and speaking of the 2016 Emmys, I just wanted to run over those real quick because, um, you know, I got to give you my reaction to them. I don't know if you watched them, but like I said, they aired Sunday on uh, ABC and uh, were hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. They recognized the best in TV from like middle of year 2015 to middle of year 2016. And overall, I enjoyed the show this year. I thought Jimmy Kimmel was not cute 
and I thought he hit pretty hard with some of his jokes. He was razzing on Mark Burnett, who's a very uh, powerful guy in, in television, one of the most powerful people in television. I mean, he, he and Simon Cowell really are right up there as far as two of the most powerful guys in network television. Uh, and, and Kimmel was just hammering him for producing the uh, the Donald Trump reality show, The Apprentice, of course, which I've also touched on in previous episodes of this show. Uh, Kimmel felt a little disinterested and a little low energy at times to dip into uh, Trump's canon of words there. But I'm pretty good with that. And I, you know, I really actually enjoyed him more than I thought I was going to enjoy him as the host. I don't feel like we need someone like James Corden hosting the Emmys. I don't feel like we need somebody who's really high energy in your face, uh, you know, Neil Patrick Harris kind of thing, going all over the stage, um, singing and dancing. I don't know if we need that at the Emmys necessarily. Leave that to the other shows. And evidence of how low-key Kemmel was, the Emmys actually clocked in at two minutes under schedule. So the show was over two minutes early. And when have you ever, like in the last 10 years, remembered any live award show actually not going over its time but ending early. I mean, that's insane to me, and that is a huge – that was a huge win for the Emmys, I think. The show kept moving. Uh, They did play off some people a little bit too quickly, I felt like, but – you know, hey, uh, we, we don't need to be sitting here for five and a half hours watching an award show. So I give him credit for that. I give Kimmel credit for keeping the keeping the show rolling, man. And the joke that the, they made in the show – I don't know who wrote the joke, but they had a, a bit um, – about Bill Cosby being a presenter at the Emmys. That was one of the best moments that I've ever seen at an award show. A Cosby joke might feel maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's old at this point, because I can't remember when all the Cosby stuff really broke. I don't remember if it was before last Emmys. I think it was. So, I mean, you're talking about a couple years old at this point, but the way they did it was just so genius. I legitimately almost had a heart attack in the three seconds after they announced his name. They announced, like coming back from a commercial, that Bill Cosby was going to be a presenter, and then they just showed some people in the in the crowd, some some of the celebrities in the crowd, and especially women, and uh, the reactions were just like everyone was staring at the stage with their mouths wide open until Kimmel came out and announced that it was actually a fake. Ladies and gentlemen, four-time Emmy Award winner, Dr. Bill Cosby. He's not, don't worry, he's, he's not really here. I just wanted to see what you guys would do. So I liked that joke. It shocked me. It kept me entertained. Um, and, and it was hard for me to argue as far as the winners of the Emmys this year go. It was hard for me to argue with most of the winners. If you follow me on Twitter, you saw me tweeting about it during the show. I always tweet during award shows. If you want to follow me, at Mr. Clint Davis. Um, plenty of diversity among the winners and the nominees. Plenty of networks were represented as well. I was really jacked to see Tatiana Maslany win an Emmy for her lead performance in Orphan Black. I reviewed Orphan Black in a previous episode of this show as well, and I told you uh, in that episode that I feel like her performance in that show is one of the best in TV history. I put her up there, if you'll remember, with uh, Brian Cranston and Breaking Bad, with John Hamm and Mad Men, with James Gandolfini in The Sopranos. I I feel like it's legitimately one of the best performances I've ever seen on TV, and she is doing such complex work on that show, playing multiple characters, and really uh, not in a gimmicky way, but in a real fleshed-out way, playing multiple characters. It's incredible work, and and for an unknown actor like Tatiana Maslany to do that, uh, just really in her first big role, is incredible to me. So I, I hope we see her around for a long time, and it was just really cool to see her win an Emmy because you could genuinely tell she was surprised. She didn't think she was going to win that. I don't think a lot of people even knew who she was, 
And I'm just saying, we have your back here on the Stream Police. I told you several episodes ago that she's doing yeoman's work on that show and definitely deserves an Emmy. And she won it. So glad to see that. I was disappointed to see Maggie Smith win for Best Supporting Actor uh, or Actress, as they say. I don't like to use that word, as I've said on this show before. Uh, But they gave her the Best Supporting Emmy for Downton Abbey, which I think she's won several times. And I've never watched it, but I'm just like, really? I mean, it's Maggie Smith. She pretty much shows up, and and the performance is good. But to see her win that over, like, Lena Headey and uh, Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones was pretty disappointing to me because I feel like both of those actors just did amazing, complicated, uh, you know, dark turns in Game of Thrones in the last year. So, you know, to see Maggie Smith win, it just showed kind of a lack of imagination, if you ask me, uh, from the voters on the Emmys. It also sucks that Fargo got shut out for its second season, which I felt like was even better than its first season. And you'll remember I said on this show also that the first season of Fargo was a perfect season of television. Um, so Fargo is it's my favorite show on TV right now. So I'm very partial to it. I love that show more than any other one on TV. And uh, to see its second season not win anything was incredibly disappointing to me. The People versus O.J. Simpson cleaned house and won more awards than any single show. Um, And I'm not sure that that was necessarily warranted. I mean, that show definitely got people talking and it was well made. It was extremely well acted. I reviewed that series as well uh, here in a previous episode of the show. Um, But just limited series are so good at this point in TV. I mean, it's arguably the best genre on television right now. Um, limited, limited series and miniseries. They're just they're at the at the peak right now of, of creativity and of uh, of production values. Um, but limited series are so good right now. I feel like it's misleading to have all the awards in that category go to a single show. So for People versus OJ to sweep them and for Fargo to not win anything to me was a little bit disappointing. And it's misleading to someone who didn't watch those shows because they're going to go, oh well, you know, People versus OJ won all these awards. I mean, that must have been the best thing on TV in the last year. And I would argue certainly it was not the best thing on TV last year. And I would argue that it certainly wasn't even the best um, limited series season of last year. I would say, again, that goes to Fargo Season 2. But, alas, Fargo Season 2 didn't win any Emmys after its first season, kind of went in and swept everything. So maybe they're just evening it out, trying to spread the wealth uh, a little bit there. Um, I just hope that at some point in the Emmys, uh, Better Call Saul is able to win at least one Emmy uh, during its run. The show has been shut out for the past two Emmy ceremonies. It hasn't won a single Emmy yet. I think it's been nominated for eight or nine of them and hasn't won any. And I'm shocked by that after the amount of trophies that Breaking Bad won uh, during its last few seasons. I mean, it was winning everything for its past few for its last few seasons it was it was dethroning mad men and kind of uh, becoming the real critical darling there for the last 2 years which kind of made me mad but while breaking bad was fantastic throughout its entire run uh, i i feel like better call saul i've said before on this show that i think the quality of better call saul is just as good as breaking bad was if not better at times actually and i think the acting in better call saul is better than the acting was in breaking bad overall. Uh, so hopefully Ray Seahorn, who's the uh, lead female actor in Better Call Saul, I, I just hope at some point she's going to be nominated for Best lead uh, Leading Actress for her work on that show, because she certainly deserves it. And she definitely deserves a nomination, if not a win at some point, because what she's doing is incredible. And again, she's really an actor that no one had really heard of before this show. So it's exciting work on TV all across the board. If anything, there's just too much good TV to really um, to go around at one award show. 
And uh, it, it's a, it's frustrating to see the same shows kind of getting nominated year after year, but they did spread it around a little bit, and overall I was impressed with the 2016 Emmys. And speaking of the 2016 Emmys, another show that won its first Emmy uh, this year was Netflix's Bloodline, which I've been wanting to talk about on this show for a while. So let's get to it. Finally, after weeks and weeks and weeks of teasing, uh, here's my review of season one of Bloodline on Netflix. Young man goes out looking for the diamond in the sea. So Bloodline has two seasons right now on Netflix, and a third season is coming. The show is going to end after its third season, so it will be a three-season run, which I feel like is a very good length for this kind of show. Honestly, I feel like one season would have been a good length for this kind of show, but I'll get to that in a second. Bloodline was created by the brothers Todd and Glenn Kessler and co-created by Daniel Zellman. It stars Kyle Chandler, Ben Mendelsohn, Sissy Spacek, Linda Cardellini, uh, Norbert Butts, and Sam Shepard, and uh, um, among other people in a big ensemble cast. And this show also has a hell of an opening theme song, which I'll probably be getting to at some point in my greatest TV show theme song of all time segment, if I had to imagine. It is on my long list. And full disclosure here, before my pre- or before my review of Bloodline, I've only seen season one of the show at this point. I know season two got more mixed reviews than the first season did, but I'll be watching it soon enough and I'll give you my take on it. But So this review is going to cover season one of Bloodline, which, as I said, is now available on Netflix for you to watch. And if you like intense, raw, extremely dark, let me underline that part, extremely dark family drama, you need to check out Bloodline. This show does not have a lot of laughs in it, does not have a lot of lighthearted, carefree moments. I will say that it is tense. It will get you down. Um, but it's it's a really just well-crafted, well-written, and extremely well-acted television show uh, that I found to be a joy to watch uh, really throughout that entire first season. If you're a fan of ensemble acting, which is something that really gets me going like nothing else. I don't think I like anything more than great ensemble acting. You look at my favorite movies, they're all ensemble acting films. It's like the common link between them. Um, I just love it when you have a huge cast of actors playing a, a big cast of great characters and everyone seems to be sinking their teeth into it, not worried about being the lead, not worried about taking uh, the spotlight away from somebody else in the ensemble. You need to check this show out if you like that kind of acting because Bloodline is a show built on acting. This show is about a family in the beautiful Florida Keys who own a successful beachside resort for honeymooners and other people who want to vacation in paradise. And really, the look of this show and, and where it's set, it is like paradise. I mean, it's always nice outside. Everyone's always wearing, like, beach wear. Uh, we get all these great, like, overhead shots of the Keys and, um, you know, beautiful skies. And even when it's storming, it looks nice out there. It's just, it, it's really, it, it's paradise. And, of course, that that contrasts so well with what's going on with this family, which everyone who on the outside would think they've got it all figured out. They're, you know, they're, they're pretty well off. They have this successful business in paradise. They live there at this resort and, uh, you know, they get to kind of, you know, set their own hours and run their own place and, uh, you know, not have to answer to anyone else. And they're being honored by the town all the time. And everyone would think like, who, what could be better than being part of this family? But as we've come to expect from any show that set up like that, uh, there's plenty of difficulties along the way, and, and this family is anything but perfect. In fact, I would I would say that they're among the most dysfunctional families I've ever seen represented on television. I mean, seriously. Um, whereas you get, like, people 
throw the word dysfunctional around a lot when they're talking about TV families, like The Simpsons, they would say is dysfunctional or Modern Family, they're dysfunctional. But I don't feel like those like at the end of the, those shows, the family hugs and the, the parents love the kids and all this stuff with like Bloodline and with the show like Six Feet Under, which I always will bring up with the dysfunctional family when I'm talking about that. It's not always clear that the parents do love the kids, and it's not always clear that the kids love the parents or love each other or care about each other that much. That's kind of these these characters are kind of cutthroat uh, at the end of the day, and uh, Bloodline just just boils over um, at points with tension and with angst between these characters. The cast of Bloodline is relatively small. I call it an ensemble, but it's not like a huge ensemble. It's only about seven characters really who dominate the screen time. And each of those characters' backgrounds are expanded upon, and the actors are given chances to flesh them out uh, over the show. It's, it's, the, the characters are well-crafted, but they're really well-played. You cannot talk about Bloodline without talking about the acting. For me, this is the foundation of the entire series. Now, I mean, when you talk about some shows, some shows, are, are they get by on a great premise. Like, obviously, like Breaking Bad. I mean, it's, it's a guy—I mean, you come into a pitch meeting, it's this— you know, cancer-stricken, financially strapped chemistry teacher who is like, who's a genius at chemistry who suddenly gets into cooking meth and becomes and realizes that he's very good at it. That is a that is a premise that is amazing. That's an outstanding premise. With the Sopranos, we've got this, uh, we've got the head of this mafia family who's talking to a psychiatrist now, which is like the worst thing that obviously a guy who lives in that code of silence can do. Um, and he's walking a thin line between his family uh, at home and his family, um, you know, it, his family in the mob. So that's a great premise for a show, obviously. But like this show doesn't have like a great premise. It just has great actors. So some shows get by on a really good premise. Some shows get by because they're culturally significant. Uh, you know, like a show like American Crime or something comes to mind for that. Some shows get by because they're just cleverly written or they just look like a million bucks. And I would say, you know, shows like Game of Thrones or even like a Seinfeld or something like that get by on those kind of things. But Bloodline is a show built completely on the idea that if you get a bunch of great actors together, you give them juicy parts, a strong show is going to develop out of that. And that's really what it's all about with Bloodline. This show is built completely on the strengths of its actors, and its actors are definitely up to the task here. Dad cut Danny out. Yeah. And when did this happen? Years ago. And before he died, I asked him if he really wanted to go through with it, and he said yes. You just let Dad do this? I'm his lawyer. My job is to carry out his wishes. Anyway, Mom, not happy about it. She wants us to include Danny. Wait a minute, can she do that? Dad already decided. Well, the business is ours now. As long as we all agree, we can do whatever we want. Does Danny know about this? I don't think so. Ah, it's an easy decision that we cut him back in. Wait a minute. Just slow down one second. Why would we do that? Because he's been through enough. He doesn't need any more. What do you mean, he's been through enough? What do you mean? I mean all of it. I mean he's a childhood that's what what I'm, are you talking about john you know what I'm talking no about. i don't 
I mean, I honestly felt like there wasn't a false note as far as the, the main cast goes in this entire first season, which is incredible. Kyle Chandler stars, he's really the main character in the show, as the straight arrow of the family, uh, John Rayburn. He acts as the guide and the keeper of his older brother and his two younger siblings. He's also a police officer, which adds to his characterization as a rule follower and a guardian. And, and Chandler's intense. If you've ever seen him in any, anything, he's always intense. I loved him so much in like Zero Dark Thirty and in The Wolf of Wall Street. And uh, I haven't watched Friday Night Lights, but everybody says that, you know, that's that's, you know, like a high watermark as far as his career goes. And I'm sure it is. Uh, but this guy is just he's great to watch. And he you never know when he's going to just go off, even though he looks like he's a very good looking guy. He's got like the great jaw, great hair, you know, good tan on this show. But um something just seems like it could snap at any minute and uh you know he looks quite formidable so it's a, it's this is just a really good role for him Linda Cardellini who you might remember from Freaks and Geeks or from Mad Men um she kind of made a resurgence with uh, her part in Mad Men a couple years ago she may get to play the most intriguing character on the entire show as the family's only daughter. She's a lawyer who opted to stay near the family's home rather than pursuing a more difficult and maybe rewarding career in a bigger city at a law firm. Um, so she's a lot of fun to watch during the show. But it's the Australian actor Ben Mendelsohn who plays the family's oldest son and the black sheep of the family named Danny who keeps you coming back during the first season. Mendelsohn is electrifying in the first season of this show, and his character is so complicated. The background is so complicated. The writing of this character is so well done that everything seems to be organic, and your allegiances... He's unreliable. The characters, All the characters on this show are unreliable narrators, unreliable lenses to look through, um, which just adds to the intrigue of it. But as you learn more and more each episode, you go back and forth between loving Danny, supporting him, and absolutely wishing that he would just go away or worse. Uh, and Mendelssohn won the Emmy. He won the show's only Emmy uh, at last Sunday's show for his performance in the show's first season, and it was completely deserved. I was so glad when they called his name uh, for that Emmy Award, and he wasn't at the ceremony, but just awesome to see him get an award for this this role because he did great work. And his character, Danny, like I said, is so well-crafted and so complex that you spend part of the season firmly on his side and the family when the family's keeping him at arm's length. But then the other part, you're on the family's side and you're hoping that he gets what's coming to him. Uh, it's just a really complicated character. I've rarely come across a character that I found so divisive and so difficult um, as a viewer as Danny. The show was also really well-crafted from the start. I did talk about the pilot episode of Bloodline a few episodes back on the Stream Police, and the, the pilot is one of the best pilots I've ever seen for any series. That sounds like hyperbole, but it, it legitimately is. It's such a great first episode. It has, like, the twist to end all twists at the end of the episode, which literally made me—I'm not kidding you. When we watched the first episode of the show— and I saw the twist at the end of the episode, I literally said, holy shit, what? In that like high-pitched voice. I, I actually said that. Holy shit, what? I could not believe what I had just seen. I was blown away by this twist. And I was also blown away by how well the characters were built from the first episode. They all felt real to me, and that's mostly due to the veteran actors who fill every single role. Some of the actors in this cast are stage veterans. We've got Sam Shepard, who's one of my idols, um, playing the father of the family. We've got Norbert Butts, who's a, a Tony winner, who's playing like the youngest 
uh, brother, the runt of the family, and he's really the character that can I don't know he he has to he grows on you the most and can be the most grating at times as well. But Norbert Butts is fantastic in this show. And others in the cast are acclaimed screen actors. We've got Sissy Spacek, an Oscar winner. We've got Chloe Sevigny, of course, a veteran from movies and from TV. We've got Linda Cardellini. We've got Kyle Chandler. All these actors are incredible, and they all bring different you know, different things to their roles. Um, and you could tell they really enjoyed playing these parts, even though these are not likable people. This isn't a show that you want to watch if you want heartwarming, likable stories about a family. Bloodline's not going to do it for you. Go back and maybe check out uh, Fuller House or something for another time if you're looking for a show like that. And now somewhere along the way when you're watching Bloodline, the show goes from a straight drama about family tensions to a crime procedural which to me isn't as interesting, but all the plot elements do feed into the angst among these siblings, um, and all the pieces do fit together. I really loved the first season of this show, and I felt that it seemed more like a miniseries than a series. So that would be my big knock on Bloodline, is that the continuation of it as a series feels very tacked on. Literally, the last scene of the last episode of the season is what stretches it into a second season show. The whole series could have been wrapped up in one season, if not for the last scene of the last episode of the first season, which to me, again, it just feels it feels like it was tacked on at the last minute. Like maybe they wanted to make a mini series, but they're like, hey, you know what? We can do a series out of this. So let's add this on and we'll, we'll keep things interesting. So if Bloodline had been executed as a one-off miniseries, I would honestly say it's one of the best miniseries I've ever seen. I'd put it up there with Australia's version of The Slap, which if you never watched that, um, I reviewed it at OverdueReview.com years ago, and that miniseries blew me away. I'm not talking about the NBC version. I'm talking about the Australian version uh, that you can still find uh, is streaming somewhere, I believe, uh, but incredible miniseries. It reminded me of that, but alas, they ended up stretching it out, and uh, of course, I'll check out season two because I enjoyed season one a lot. I'll let you know what I think, but like I said, reviews so far have been more mixed on season two than they were on season one, which the reviews were really not mixed at all on season one. I like this show a lot. It's intense. I like the style of it. I think it looked great. It was so well acted and just well crafted from start to finish. Maybe they didn't need to stretch it, but that's the only real knock I'm going to have against Bloodline Season 1. and two of Bloodline are right now on Netflix. And hey, this show is dark and brutal, uh, but it's it's fascinating TV and it's, it's really well done. Uh, another good one. Another hit from Netflix. And now I'm going to toss things over to our music man, Andy Sedlak, music editor at OverdueReview.com. We'll see what he's got uh, for us this week. What's he recommended and telling us to stay away from? And most importantly, what are those five new songs to add to the stream policed growing greatest playlist of all time? Take it away, Andy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, all right. Hey, look, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in a bad mood, and I don't know why. You ever get that way where there's really no, there's no reason for it? I mean, Christ, I was even paid today. Maybe all this is just because Shorty Lowe died. Yeah, died in a car crash. Happened in Georgia. Over a guardrail, hit a tree, burst into flames, ejected. He recorded a song, uh, it was a hit in 2005, back when he was a member of the group D4L. Yeah, that's the song right there, Laffy Taffy, D4L, by the way. Stood for Down for Life, according to the website, hiphop365.com. It is the worst rap song of all time. I don't mean to, to make light of anybody's death, like I said... I'm in a mood, you know, it's like, and, and, and when you're in that, that mood, for whatever reason, it's like all you want to talk about is who sucks, you know, so I'll, t- I'll t- tell you who sucks, I always thought Usher, Usher, just sucked, oh my god, he's like a, like a vanilla Michael Jackson, no soul in that man, Jesus, boring, I do, um, I, I do have <clears throat> something here with me that I want to touch on real quick, a list of the marquee albums, so to speak, that will be released next year in 2017. This comes, by the way, of Rolling Stone magazine. What do you think of this list? Lord, The Rolling Stones, U2, Springsteen, Leonard Cohen, Jay-Z, Kings of Leon. Fine group. But other than Lord, where's, where's the young talent? We saw a wave of releases from millennials this year. Drake, Rihanna, Ariana Grande, so on. But I don't see many on the calendar for for next year. That means it'll be one of those years of come out of nowhere songs and those are gone and forgotten about about 25 minutes later. So much of this music is just disposable. It's, It's meant to perform a function in the short term and then you throw it away. Yeah, you do. You throw it away when you're done with it. It's like a tissue or a condom. You're not going to be going back to it. There is uh, one release that I have to say I, I've been into. Came out uh, last week. And I'll come right out and say it. It's Meatloaf's new record. It's called Braver Than We Are. And if you've read about it, you read the same descriptions, the same adjectives over and over. Bombastic. Operatic. Over the top. That's really lazy writing on the part of the journalist. And they're the same adjectives that they use for all meatloaf records. And while the man does have a style, this one's a little bit different. I'll put it this way. It begins with like a doo-wop cabaret and ends with like a rock-licking thing called Train of Love. 
in between morality, politics, sort of a, a perverse spirituality, rule of context, lyrical context. I actually don't think of it as grand or epic or operatic, not nearly as much as some of his other recordings. Do you, do you really mean it's your last record? Yeah. yeah. For sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Well, how come? Why did you make this? Just because I can't, I had knee surgery. Yeah. yeah. And I used to run on stage. Yeah. And I can't run anymore. Run. Mm. And it drives me nuts. Well, we're going to run to buy this record. It's called yeah. Braver Than We Are. Meat Loaf's Bad Out of Hell, by the way, released back in 1977, remains the fifth highest selling album ever. In the age that we live in now, I doubt. Any album sales will knock that out of the top five. Think about it. Who's considered the most consistent album artist at the moment? It would have to be Adele, right? Her last album broke all kinds of records. That release was called 25, and it sold over 20 million copies. That's a lot. Phenomenal, actually, uh, by today's standards. But when you compare that to Bad Out of Hell... Bad Out of Hell sold 43 million copies. And I doubt people buy 25 at the same rate that they have purchased Bad Out of Hell over the past 40 years. It'll never be topped. Bad Out of Hell routinely referred to as a guilty pleasure, though I don't find any guilt in it. It's perfect. The sound combines Spectre, Springsteen, Townsend. Jim Steinman wrote all the songs, and they're some of the most vivid songs I've ever heard. Meat puts every drop of sweat into recording those songs. It's just, it's just rock and roll. know if this would bother you. Meatloaf is essentially famous because of the songs Jim Steinman wrote. The two haven't worked together in many, many years, but the cover of this new album lists Meatloaf, of course, as the primary artist. And then it says, all songs by Jim Steinman, right there on the front cover. Like everyone else, I pictured them in the studio, nose to nose, writing new music together, but it's not true. Some of these songs Steinman wrote in the early 1970s. Some of them were recorded by other artists first, before Meatloaf. Some were outlines, and then filled in by other writers. Is that dishonest? Is that false advertising? At the end of the day, if the songs are good, does it even matter? It's not Bad Out of Hell, this new record, or Bad Out of Hell 2. Steinman is uh, in poor health, and he 
Skyped with Meatloaf and the production team while they were in the studio. My question, how honest do musicians have to be in creating the record? If one artist's track features another artist, does it matter to you if one person recorded their part in New York and the other person recorded a part in L.A. and then emailed it in? Does it take away from what you were picturing in your head? Does it even matter? At what point does the creation of the album affect the way that you enjoy it? Shoot me an email at sedlakjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, the word journal, all squished together at gmail.com. In all seriousness, Jim Steinman is responsible for Meatloaf's success. They were his songs after all. While he's in poor health now, Steinman was a vibrant man in his younger years. He was born in New York City in 1947. That makes him 68 years old. He's really a theater nerd, having uh, written a musical called Dream Engine before writing for Meatloaf. Scored other hits with Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. Also wrote for Air Supply, Barry Manilow. His last two artists uh, seem odd given his reputation. But he's one of those guys that wrote real long songs. He would take parts of songs and then put them in the middle of other songs. Like changing the parts in or out of a car. The Beatles did a little of that. Hell, who hasn't? But, but he did it a ton throughout his career. Made a living off of it. It was part of his method. Anyway, I'm going to do uh, something a little bit different this week. Instead of recommending five songs, I'm just going to recommend one to add to your playlist. It's a song by Jim Steinman. It's called Left in the Dark. Meatloaf would later record that in 1995, and in case you're wondering, that clocked in at 8 minutes and 2 seconds. Behave yourselves, I'm out, see ya. Alright, thank you very much, Andy. Much appreciated, as always. I'm back here in the closet with you in Cincinnati, Clint Davis, the uh, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. And let me put on my TV hat and talk about Fall TV 2016 and give you part two of my 2016 Fall TV preview. Last episode, I gave you five shows premiering in September that I thought looked interesting, ones I thought you should check out, ones I was going to be checking out. And uh, I wanted to give you five episodes in this show, or five shows in this episode, I should say, that are premiering in October. So here are shows coming out next month. Um, on different networks. I got a wide variety of networks for you here. Actually, no networks 
as we know them. No ABC, no Fox, no CBS, no NBC, no shows on those networks. We're going across cable and streaming here for all five of these October shows. Now, uh, if you'll remember the shows I gave you from September were Atlanta, Better Things, One Mississippi, Fleabag, and Pitch. So far, I've watched at least one episode of four of those five shows, uh, and I'll be talking about more uh, that more in the next episode. But I have to say the, the pilot of Pitch I just watched the other day, and I'll be goddamned if the thing didn't make me cry. I'm just, I'm being honest with you guys. I'm sitting in the closet here. I'm talking to you. Um, I hope you're listening. I guess you're listening if I'm telling you this. So that was, that was kind of dumb to say. But anyways, thank you for listening. But I'm being honest with you, all right? I cried. I actually cried at the end of the first episode of Pitch. Those son of a bitch and writers, man, threw a twist that was so just emotionally devastating at the end of that episode. And it was well done. But my God, was it manipulative. And it just... It, it wrecked me, man. My wife and I were like both in tears at the end of Pitch, which I did not expect to be. I thought I was going to be pumped up by that show. I didn't think I was going to be weeping at the end of that show. But, yeah, so if you watch the uh, first episode of Pitch, just I'm warning you right now, have tissues ready because it, it brought me down, man. Brought me down. Killed me. Broke my heart. All right, so enough talking about September shows. That's old news. Five October shows that look interesting. Let me start. And I'm going to go by the order in which they're going to premiere. Uh, let me start on HBO and give you a show that has had numerous production delays and it's the budget is you know gone like through the roof and everything but I still think it looks amazing. This is Westworld and it's starting on HBO on October 2nd. I'm going to tell you right out of the gate, I feel like Westworld could either be the best show ever or like the worst miscalculation ever. I don't know. The trailers are really good for it and it's brought to you by some good people. Co-produced by J.J. Abrams. It stars a bunch of powerhouse actors like Anthony Hopkins, Ed Harris, Evan Rachel Wood. Really, really good actors uh, filling out the cast of this show. So uh, Westworld, what it's about is it's like a an amusement park in the future uh, called Westworld where all of these like androids who really look very human, um, you would think they were real people, they, but they were created in a lab by like kind of a Dr. Frankenstein type character who is like the mastermind of, of this. He's like the nightmarish Walt Disney of this theme park. Um, and he bends the robots to his will. And at a certain point, I think the robots get kind of fed up with it and they start to revolt a little bit. So it's uh, it, it's going to be tense stuff. It's going to be exciting. And uh, I think it's it's going to look like I said, more like a film than like a TV show. But we've seen HBO do that with Game of Thrones. And that show certainly made them enough money that I think they have some, uh, enough to spare for the budget of Westworld. Once again, it almost is like more like a film, and it's fitting because it's based on the 1970s movie with Yul Brenner uh, called Westworld, and they decided that, hey, this is a good universe. We could turn this into a series, and we'll see if that works out. But I don't know. I'm, I'm digging the trailers a lot. The show looks like a million bucks. looks very expensive, and it should be, like I said, with all the production delays and overrunning costs. So expect uh, this thing to look amazing on your big curved, you know, 75-inch television. Um, amazing cast here as well, like I said, and the chance for a truly deep and unique world in a series. It's high-concept stuff, and the trick, I feel like, is going to be keeping the audience interested without being too lofty in terms of scope. So Westworld starts on HBO on October 2nd. I'll definitely 
be watching that one. All right, second up for you here on Amazon, Goliath, which starts on October 14th. This is the third show I've picked out from Amazon um, out of the 10 shows that I feel like look interesting in the fall of 2016. So I feel like Amazon is having a hell of a run uh, in the last few months. Uh, Goliath looks really epic. It's got a stacked cast again. Uh, we've got some Oscar winners here. Billy Bob Thornton is the star. We've got William Hurt, Maria Bello. Uh, so we have a little a history of violence reunion there. And the show was created by the legendary David E. Kelly. Haven't heard that name in a while. Um, Goliath is a 10-episode courtroom series about a broken-down, washed-up trial lawyer played by Billy Bob Thornton who goes after a powerful defendant who's played by William Hurt. I'm a sucker for courtroom drama, always have been, and uh, this one looks like a good one. It looks like it could be really strong, especially for a 10-episode uh, miniseries, and who knows if maybe they'll pick it up after that with a new case or something like that. But Goliath, meanwhile, the se- first season is going to debut on Amazon on October 14th. I will be checking that one out. Hopefully it's good. Another show I'm going to pick out in my five shows premiering in October. This one is on the Pop Network, which uh, used to be called the TV Guide Channel. Now it's the Pop Network. They've had a little bit of success with a show called Shit's Creek that's on there. S-C-H-I-T-T apostrophe S Creek, uh, which has gotten some critical acclaim. And uh, that was really the kind of the first show on Pop that made any noise. But uh, this show is Wolf Creek, and it starts on Pop Network on October 14th. If you remember Wolf Creek, the movie, um, it was a horror film that came out in the mid-2000s and really was one of the best horror movies of the 2000s, in my opinion. Uh, it was just so dark, and it was very scary, and I own it on DVD. I, I go back to it a lot. It's just a really gritty and really frightening film, but they made it into a six-episode TV reboot um, in Australia, and apparently the show got great reviews in Australia. They're bringing it to America on Pop Network, um, and so it will be new for us in the States, but it's only six episodes. It premieres October 14th. And that's a hell of a a great time for it uh, with Halloween coming around the corner. Um, The movie was about a group of 20-somethings who went on a road trip in the Australian outback. And they were taken, uh, taken in by this rugged guy who agrees to fix their car while they waited his house in the middle of nowhere. And, of course, this leads to them being taken prisoner by the guy as he tortures and kills them one by one. He's a complete sadist. Um, and it's just, it's a frightening, he's a great villain too. It's a really strong show. Um, so this is going to be creepy as hell. It's probably going to be really intense, really dark, really scary stuff. Uh, but it's perfect fit for the October TV slate and Wolf Creek premieres on October 14th on Pop Network. Another October show for you that's premiering uh, in that month. On October 19th on Hulu, the new show Chance is going to be making its premiere. And I believe Hulu does their streaming shows one week at a time, so it won't be a full season at once. It'll still be like every week. You'll have to check back for a new one. Uh, But this show stars Hugh Laurie. And, I mean, honestly, who doesn't love Hugh Laurie? The guy's awesome. Um, who didn't love him in house and night manager got great reviews. And uh, I mean, he's just, he's a great actor. And this show was directed by Lenny Abramson who did 2015's room, which as I talked about on this show is one of my favorite movies of last year. It was one of a lot of, a lot of people loved room and Lenny Abramson directed that movie and he's directing this show. So, Hey, what's not to like Hugh Laurie and Lenny Abramson together. You can't tell much from this show uh, about this show from the trailer. So I'm really not sure what the storyline is going to be, but it looks like Laurie is playing a psychiatrist who gets involved in a potential murder plot involving a woman uh, who's his patient. 
So that's really all it looks like. Uh, I'm going to give it a watch, and it's the first Hulu original series that I've included in one of my TV reviews, uh, previews, I should say, in the last two years for Fall TV. So Chance might be uh, the first original show from them that I actually uh, sit down and, and give a chance to. Pun intended. And finally, one more show that's premiering in October that I want to give a shout-out to that I think looks really interesting, and I'm, on, I'm very excited about this one, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. It's a mouthful to say, uh, but it's premiering October 22nd on BBC America. And this show is about a time-traveling detective who was created as a character by Douglas Adams, the guy who... Uh, the guy who wrote uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. and I mean, Douglas Adams is just really one of the most creative, funny, original writers um, in literature in the last you know 100 years. So, uh, I, And I've heard great things about the series Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency as a book series. So uh, I feel like this is going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. It's already been described as Doctor Who meets Sherlock, really, is the style here. Um, and the show was created by Max Landis, who happens to be the son of John Landis. So I'm sure there's going to be some funny stuff here. And it stars Elijah Wood and Samuel Barnett as uh, a pair of, uh, of guys working together to uh, solve a crime. And um, it looks like this is going to be an ep- eight-episode show, an eight-episode first season that, uh, from the trailers I've seen, it's sure to be funny, sure to be hip. And I think it'll be just a, a solid British detective show that's got some humor to it. It's not so serious as many of their detective series are. So Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency on BBC America on October 22nd. That's my fifth pick for you for the month of October. Let me run those down for you one more time. Westworld on HBO, that premieres October 2nd. Uh, Goliath on Amazon, that premieres October 14th. Wolf Creek on Pop premieres October 14th as well. Chance on Hulu premieres October 19th. And Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency premieres October 22nd on BBC America. Those are my five shows premiering in October that I think look like they'll be worth a watch. All right, and finally, let me get to the big screen, a movie that's out right now that I think you need to run out and see. I have finally seen my favorite movie of 2016 so far. It dethroned uh, my previous favorite, which I would say was miles ahead before this one. It's Hell or High Water, which was directed by David McKenzie, a Scottish director who's still pretty new stateside. It was written by Taylor Sheridan, who... Uh, wrote Sicario, which I reviewed on a, on a previous episode of this show, and I absolutely loved Sicario. I thought it was so sleek and so just just awesome, just dark and great movie um, and unique. And he also was an actor on Sons of Anarchy, um, and apart from being a writer here. And the, sh- uh, the movie stars Chris Pine, Jeff Bridges, and Ben Foster, who you're going to, if you're like me, if you watch Six Feet Under, you're going to spend the entire movie, Hell or High Water, wondering, why do I know Ben Foster? Why do I know this guy? Where do I know him from? He played Claire's friend Russell in a few seasons of Six Feet Under. He was a, a longtime uh, recurring character on that show, and that was like back—he looked like a teenager on that show. So just I was like, oh, my God, what do I know this dude from? And that was it. So if you're wondering that yourself, that's probably what you know him from. Hell or High Water, though, is a fast-paced, funny, subtle tense and very well-made heist movie set deep in the heart of Texas. Um, And in some ways, this movie does remind me of No Country for Old Men. But I thought Hell or High Water was way more fun to watch, and I liked it more overall than that Oscar winner. Chris Pine and Ben Foster play brothers who are going across Texas robbing different branches of a local bank. 
Uh, we're not sure immediately why they're doing this, why are they robbing the place, but it seems they have a purpose in mind. And later we do figure out the purpose and it makes a lot of sense. And really gets us on their side in the end. Jeff Bridges plays the slightly racist and nearly retired Texas Ranger who's on the brothers' trail and is quickly figuring out their pattern. They aren't done yet, I'll tell you that. How come? Well, they're patient. Just sticking to the drawers, not taking the hundreds. That's the bank's money. We can trace that. They're they're trying to raise a certain amount, that's my guess. It's going to take a few banks to get there. But these guys aren't just robbing banks for the hell of it. They're not trying to be cool criminals who earn a rep across Texas. They're trying to be low-key, honestly. And you realize, as the film goes on, that there's a serious purpose behind their robbery pattern. And the story is actually topical. It has to do with the housing bubble and the bank fraud uh, that's been going on for years past. And all that, though, is backseat to the well-told story about characters that all have different reasons to make you root for them. Uh, your allegiances will change several times during this movie, which you know I feel like is the mark of a really good kind of crime film. It's not just black and white. These aren't good guys and bad guys. Uh, we realize that kind of everyone's a good guy depending on where you look at it. Uh, the lead characters are definitely anti-heroes, and I found myself pulling for them, even though they're bank robbers, more than the officers who are tracking them down. You got any idea how much I owe Debbie and child support? Got enough in your front pocket to fix that problem right now. You can't spare it, you know that. Maybe we should hit another branch. You know, you talk like we ain't gonna get away with this. I've never met nobody got away with anything, ever. Why in the hell did you agree to do it? Because you asked, little brother. But this is a complicated film with complicated characters, despite the simplicity on its surface as being like a rootin' tootin' brothers in Texas robbing banks. Uh, it's much more than that, and, and that's really what I appreciated about this film. If you get a chance, check out Hell or High Water. It flew by. It's so well-paced. It's just, it was really, I laughed out loud in several parts, and other parts almost made you want to cry. It's a, it's a really, really well-done movie. Great film. And I'd be shocked if this is not up for an Oscar or two come winter. So I want to give a huge shout-out to Taylor Sheridan, the writer of this movie, and David McKenzie, the director. I look forward to seeing what he's got up his sleeve coming down the pike. Uh, and Chris Pine, man, just, again, another great performance from Chris Pine. I'm always impressed by him. He's done such a good job as... Uh, as Captain Kirk, which are like shoes you cannot fill in the new Star Trek movies. And really everything I've ever seen him in, in the finest hours, I thought he was very stoic, very strong. And once again, here he is uh, in this movie. He doesn't use a lot of words. He doesn't talk much, but um, it really acts very well with his face, with his eyes, tells you a lot by what he's not saying. Uh, and obviously that's the mark of a really great actor. And Jeff Bridges, again, is fun to watch. A little hard to understand at times, but uh, fun to watch. And, and Ben Foster blew me away. I thought he was fantastic in this movie. So Hell or High Waters in theaters right now. I could not recommend seeing this one more to you, especially if you like crime movies, if you like heist movies, and if you like the old, not the old West, but the new West. If you like the West, if your heart's out there, Check this film out. You will dig it. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Coming up in uh, future episodes, I'm going to be telling you how'd I do my take on the first few episodes of my fall TV picks. They can't all be winners, right? Or can they? We'll find out. Um, And also, I'll be uh, answering a question I got as to which shows I look forward to the most each week, which ones are truly my favorites. All that and more coming up uh, later on in uh, episodes of The Stream Police. Check out our back catalog and go to the website, OverdueReview.com, to read more long-form reviews of movies uh, and records throughout uh, every era 
Uh, Andy and I take a lot of pride in the writing we do over there, a lot of care in the writing, and uh, we don't make any money off of it. So uh, we just hope you guys enjoy it, and we hope people are checking that stuff out, uh, much like this show. Thank you very much for tuning in, my friend. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much, Andy, as well. Uh, Peace from my closet, and until then, stream on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.